All wings report in. Red leader standing by. Gray leader standing by. Green leader standing by. Luck S files and attack positions. May the force be with us. We've got to be able to get some kind of reading on that shield up or down. Well, how could they be jamming us if they don't know if we're coming? Break off the attack. The shield is still up. I get no reading. Are you sure? Pull up! All craft, pull up! Take a base of action. Green group, skip across the holding sector and get over. We have enemy ships in sector 47. It's a trap! What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrex10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more. No less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. All right, we have made it to the top 20 now of our top 83 albums from 1983 countdown. We are truly in the thick of it, so I know you are definitely curious and dying with anticipation, so let's get to it. Number 20 right here. One of the most successful debut albums of all time. I don't know if anybody out there would be surprised that this is on my list this high or in my countdown, but immediately when I thought of doing albums from 1983, I immediately thought about albums such as this and where they would rank. And number 20 is a very good position here on this countdown and one of the strongest years ever for the overall album. So yes, this album came out. In October of 1983, produced by a guy named Rick Chertoff, who definitely has a pretty decent ear as far as helping out people making hits and stuff like that. But if you don't know the story about how this album came to be, it's really interesting because this is a person who was in a band who was signed to a label. The album came out and then she fought to get off the label because she realized that this was not going to go anywhere. And this album right here was the culmination of years and years of struggling and believing in yourself. So it's an inspirational listen regardless, even if you didn't know all of that. But yes, number 20 right here is by Cindy Lauper and the album She's So Unusual. It's a damn near perfect album. Most people out there know at least half of this record. 
And I gotta say, the album cuts are quite good as well. And when I said most people know half this record, I'm not lying. First single, Girls Just Wanna Have Fun. Second single, Time After Time. I know that's a legit number one single. Number three, The Great She-Bop. Number four single I'm actually going to play here in a little bit, so I won't spoil it. Then the actual sixth official single release, because there were six single releases from this album. Internationally, the sixth single was a Prince cover called When You Were Mine. It's a song from Dirty Mind. And yeah, it's on this album. So if you've never heard that, that means you haven't heard the whole record. Go listen to this record. It is a tremendous record. And easily enough, I'm just going to kick off the show today with the opening track and my personal favorite song from this record. The fifth single in question is this one right here. Money Changes Everything.
Kicking off the show here today and getting us into the top 20 of the top 83 albums from 1983 Countdown. That was the great Cindy Lauper with Money Changes Everything from her classic album, She's So Unusual. I was, I was going through the singles fast and actually failed to talk about one of the other great singles off of this album that was All Through the Night. Great, great song. Could have easily picked that one to play, but since this wound up being number 20, I'm like, it's going to open the show. I feel like Money Changes Everything is the better opener for sure. It's one of those great openers. I remember when I was a kid, when they would play that video on MTV, they were playing the live version of it, which was this like crazy extended version of it where she just keeps riffing and jamming with the band. If you remember, they put her in the trash can and she gets lifted over the audience in a trash can. But that's a long video, but it's really cool. But I realized before I ever even bought the album that I had never heard the studio version. That studio version is so damn good. As cool as the live version is, that studio version is the best. And in case you didn't know this, the band, the essential band on this album is actually the Hooters. They co-wrote a lot of these hits with Cindy and, of course, play on the record, did the tour and everything, and that's them really breaking into the business. They were already getting a decent look in the business, but this definitely catapulted them, and that's why you saw them just kick off, I think, around 85, and they already had had hit singles because they were just that hot at that point. That's another reason why that band became a huge deal in the mid-80s, but there you have it. Yeah, the Hooters, big part of She's So Unusual right there. This next album here, coming in at number 19, I'm actually surprised for myself how quote-unquote low this album is on the list because this was definitely one of my favorite albums at the time in 1983. It's a big, big record for me, just getting into rock music and stuff like that. And very important and helpful that this is an album that my mom didn't mind me owning. So there's a little bit of pushback now about that later on, but we come full circle and then we realize just how much we actually love these records, no matter what, right? But this album just came out right at the beginning of the year in January of 83. I'm talking about the third album by Brian Adams, Cuts Like a Knife. Man, I love this record. It's almost like a power pop record. The first couple albums, he was definitely experimenting with a little disco, a little new wave kind of thing. But this is definitely a rock album. Like I said, leans a lot on the power pop. And I love this record. I know this whole thing top to bottom. Every note in this record I am super familiar with. So yes, all the nostalgia. And I gotta say though, just thinking about it, I know that Brian just recently came through town. He played during the summer. I was really hoping that with this being the 40th anniversary of Cuts Like a Knife, that he would have done like he did with Reckless. Back in 2015, he did the 30th anniversary for Reckless by playing it top to bottom. And I went to that show. It was a great show. I was really hoping that he would do that for Cuts Like a Knife this year. Because I think every one of these songs would have gone over well live. It's just that good. But what meant to be? He did not do it. So I didn't go, to be honest with you. I probably still should have gone to the show regardless. With Joan Jett opening, it probably would have been a good show. I'm sure it was. But that was kind of me just being bitter and like, oh, man. Why isn't he doing Cuts Like a Knife? I don't need to hear some of those 90s songs. <laughs> but there you have it. And Brian, another guy who definitely paid his dues and was writing songs for other people to try to make some contacts and get some breaks in the business. Brian co-wrote a couple of songs on one of the best albums of 1982 for my money, Creatures of the Night by Kiss. He worked on that and so had an association with Kiss. 
So technically, Brian comes in uh, very high on the countdown two years in a row here. And speaking of Kiss, I'm assuming this is the case. One of the songs that might have been left on the table for Creatures of the Night is a song called Don't Leave Me Lonely, which has a co-write by Brian Jim Valance, his songwriting partner, and the late, great Eric Carr, drummer from Kiss. So perhaps that's the case, or maybe they just wound up writing this afterwards. I'm not 100%. I should know that fact, but I don't. But yeah, that song's on this album as well. And that one probably could have been a big hit too, but there's so many hits off of this record. I guess at one point they're like, we got to stop releasing songs. Brian was already working on Reckless, so there you have it. One other great note about this record, actually, just looking up through the notes here on the record. Mike Fraser was actually an engineer on this record. If you know that name, then you're next level. Mike Fraser has been the guy that's mixed every ACDC album since 1990. It's got a handful of great credits otherwise. Guy's got a great ear. So another reason why this record sounds so damn good is it was engineered by one of the greats in the business of all time, Mike Fraser. So yes, all those little pieces coming together for this really awesome rock and roll album. So to represent Cuts Like a Knife, I you know, I tell you what, I'm going to have to play this because honestly, I know it's mega obvious, but this is such an important song for me. As a kid, this was one of my first favorite songs ever. So let's do it. Here's the title track, Cuts Like a Knife. Turn it up for young Joey here.
Oh, man. Oh, baby. That is absolutely number one with a bullet as far as being my favorite Brian Adams song of all time. That song is so great. The only other song that comes close to me, and I like a good amount of his songs, but the only one that comes closer to that is It's Only Love with Tina Turner. Yeah, there you go. Brian Adams, Cuts Like a Knife, number 19 here on my countdown here. Hey, who, who's booking this crap? Can't believe it's only 19. Well, if you see what's in front of it, much like Cuts Like a Knife, there's a lot of nostalgia here for me and the rest of this countdown, but there's a few new favorites as well, at least new as in stuff I didn't grow up with, let's say. And yes, I still have my original vinyl copy of Cuts Like a Knife with the Mylar, Brian Adams, if you hold up to the light, you could see his name in Mylar. Cool stuff, man. That record's always a good idea. Okay. Number 18, one of those quote-unquote new favorites. I did not grow up with this record, full disclosure. I recall when I used to work at CD Warehouse and manage it after a while, this album got special ordered so much because we didn't carry it on the reg, but we wound up having to carry it out of necessity because inevitably, once every couple of weeks, uh, just some random dude would come in. It was always a dude, always a dude in his 40s. That's nothing wrong with that. I'm a dude in my 40s now. Guy would come in and be like, man, I really need this record on CD. This is one of my favorite albums. And they would always say that. That's one of my favorite albums. And I was like, wow, that's one of your favorite albums? Like, I know a song off of it. But like, all right, man, yeah, have fun with it. But yeah, I never realized just how cool and great this album is. All those dudes were right, man. This is. Let's add another tape to the imaginary two-seater right here. Because this definitely goes in the glove compartment. Or if you have one of those mini suitcases for tapes. I had two of them. Did you have one of those? Yeah. I used to keep it fucking filled all the time because you never know. But yeah, this one right here, Fastway, the self-titled debut album by Fastway. This album came out in April of 1983, produced by the great Eddie Kramer, former Hendrix producer, former Kiss producer. This, this, this fucking guy right here. Yeah, of course this album sounds great. Eddie Kramer produced it. So yeah, this album just became a favorite over time for me. And I didn't even realize at the time why they were called Fastway. Fastway was initially Fast Eddie Clark after he left Motorhead and Pete Way after he left UFO. And the really messed up thing about it is, yeah, that's a cool sounding name. So much so that they kept the name after Pete Way left the group. He supposedly did not even play at all on this debut album. Because he had already apparently left the band to go start Wasted. <laughs> and then now there's even speculation on who actually played the bass on this album. I don't know if there's an official word on this because you know how like anybody can edit Wikipedia? The way that this person goes on about this supposed person that was like just happened to be in the studio and wrote and played all the bass on it but there's some other person's name on it. I don't know if I believe that, so I'm not naming names here. But what I do know is apparently everybody's agreed that Pete Way does not play bass on this. But it does not hurt the record at all. This is probably one of the real first instances of what I call the Zeppelin breakup fallout because there's a lot of Zeppelinisms in this album. And not enough to where it's like a complete imitation. They don't Greta Van Fleet it. But you can definitely hear the Zeppelin in there if you're really paying attention. And there's the ballad on here. I guess like the last song on there that's not on the original vinyl, but it's on the cassette versions, like those kind of fucking things. That song is really Zeppelin. 
That one's called Far, Far From Home. Go look it up if you've only got the vinyl version of it. It's streaming and on your cassettes or CD copies of it. I definitely should have at least the Rock Candy reissue of this by now, but I'll I'll get on that soon. But I do have it on vinyl. I don't have it with the 7-inch, sorry. But getting back to the actual album itself, this album really smokes. If you like hard rock even remotely, of course, the answer is yes, you're listening to this show. That means you should own this record. It is that good. And since you definitely probably already know Say What You Will, and if you've heard anything off this record, like me for the longest time, that's the only song you've heard by him, Okay, that's fine. I'm not mad at you. Let's right the wrong, though. And let's get into a deep cut right here. I listened to this album at least four times this year in preparation for this because I just kept doing that thing. Like, I I know I didn't grow up with this album, but is this record really that good? And the answer is yes, the album really is that good. I think it almost scored 100 points for me, but it didn't make it in the top 10 because there's a little bit of lack of nostalgia there. But if somebody was like, this is in my top three albums of 1983, I would not disagree with that. I would not debate that in any way because this album is that good, honestly. So let's play this track right here to hopefully entice you to give your first full listen to this album. It says Fastway with Another Day.
Coming in at number 18, the debut self-titled record by Fastway. That was another day. Hope you enjoyed that. Hopefully it gets you on that record if you never heard it before. And chances are you have heard this next record coming in at number 17. One of those albums that started it all. I mentioned it in a similar vein when I played Slayer earlier in the countdown with Show No Mercy. And yes, we are up to one of the other members of the big four. Yes, that one, the big one, the big dog in the yard, Metallica, their debut album, an album that was almost called Metal Up Your Ass. If you don't know that story, band was going to call it Metal Up Your Ass. You've probably seen the t-shirt that says Metal Up Your Ass, but Johnny Z had the wherewithal to talk him out of it saying, you know what, that might hurt your distribution chances. So, hey, being pretty savvy early on in their career, thinking the long-term effect, wanting to get their album in as many stores as possible. Very smart to change that name, but nothing too mainstream. They went with Kill 'Em All with a bloody hatchet on the cover. So yes, still very metal. Probably more metal, actually, because it's aged a little better. This album came out in July of 83 on Megaforce Records. Big player in 80s metal. Changed the game once again. I never knew this name on here. Paul Curcio? produced it should look him up i don't know anything else that he's done he doesn't i there's no link to click on his name on the wikipedia so i can't find out what else he did i i should have done my homework on this guy but yes he's no flaming rasmussen so yeah i don't know if i've still ever seen a picture of that guy but i always assumed it's either james or lars but apparently he is a real guy but back to kill them all the big debut for metallica Still so many crowd-pleasing favorites, so many fan favorites. I did see an interview recently with Lars where he said this is their worst album. (laughs) And I was like, that is absolute shit. (laughs) Like, that is crap. You could say, I don't even know if you can really say this is their worst-sounding record. It does have a raw nature to it, clearly, but I'm in that camp that... And Justice for All has always deserved to have bass in it. So I guess it's the second worst sounding Metallica record, if you have any kind of ear. But hey, that's that's my opinion. But yeah, of course, Kill em All, it's a classic, warts and all, making it here at number 17 on the countdown. I, I'm perfectly fine with that placement. You see a lot of that Mustaine guy's name on a lot of the co-writes on this record, rightfully so. Wrote a lot of songs on the first two Metallica records, and definitely was a big part of the early success there. I mean, getting those songs on there. The songs are the key thing, right? Let me play one of my favorite songs, if not my personal favorite song. I always liked this song quite a bit. I was really happy that years later, my favorite band of the big four, Anthrax, actually did a cover of this, and a very good one, if you've never heard it. Go track it down. But until then, let's enjoy the original here again. Written by Dave Mustaine, James Hetfield, and Lars Ulrich. This is The Phantom Lord.
Okay, so two things. I actually have some housekeeping now to do. I was like, I'm going to roll through all of the Phantom Lord right here and do that extra leg work and answer some questions I had prior to playing that song. By, by the way, underrated is the Metallica CD remasters. Obviously, the big box sets and the vinyl reissues get all the love. But if you're just a CD person... Those flat paper CD reissues that they did, I guess kind of like album replicas of the albums, the remasters on those are so good. I don't really need to tell anybody that they blow away the sound of the original CDs because the original CDs did not sound great, but it is a vast improvement from the CDs that I grew up with. Just the levels are so good on it. Super, super loud the way it ought to be. Right up your ass. Yes, Paul Curcio. I went and just, you know, easily I just Googled him while the song was playing. 
And unfortunately, it looks like Paul passed away. Actually, as of this recording, it's been exactly five years since Paul passed away. Found out he was in a garage band called the Mojo Men. I actually know who they are. Pretty decently big deal in the garage scene. That never really made it to that next level, but they had some cool associations. So, cool little band. Go check them out if you like some 60s garage rock. And then after all that happened... He's a New York native, and he founded this studio called Music America Studio, and that's what led him to producing Kill 'Em All. So he has a studio out in New York, and Johnny Z approached him and basically like quoted, "Hey, I have this amount of money to record a full-length album. Can we do it?" And that was it. He's like, he basically just admitted it over the years, like the reason why I'm the producer on Kill 'Em All is because I had a decently affordable rate for Johnny Z and Metallica. They budgeted 15 grand for a little over two weeks' work. And there you have it. That's why it happened. So thanks to Billboard.com for filling me in on that one. They posted a really decent article and obituary about the life and career of Paul Curcio. So thanks, Billboard. Appreciate that. You come in handy every now and then, don't you? So yes, number 17 there, Metallica's Kill 'em All. And I'm going to play another big card and lay it down on the table here, which will leave you further guessing as to what lay ahead. I already played you my Alice Cooper card on the last episode, and now I'm throwing down my Kiss card. Yes, it is time for Kiss's 11th studio album. They came out in 1983, an album co-produced by Gene and Paul, but mostly produced by the late, great Michael James Jackson, who did such a great job on their previous album, Creatures of the Night. So why wouldn't you bring him back to capture that magic again? Yes, talking about Lick It Up, the famous album that brought him back to the charts. And I definitely drink the Kool-Aid on Paul Stanley's company line here is that he believes, like I believe, that Creatures is a vastly better record than Lick It Up. But this is proof positive that the general public listen with their eyes instead of their ears sometimes. And not that Lick It Up isn't a very, very, very good record, because it is. It's just it's not Creatures great. People were just tired of the makeup, man. I feel like that was the case as well. It was stale. They needed to do something for the 80s, and they did it. They took their makeup off. They took their makeup off officially on MTV and then immediately world premiered the Lick It Up video. So that was a very smart move, that whole thing. You've seen the footage, right? I don't have to tell you about that. By the way, rest in peace, J.J. Jackson. But yes, obviously Lick It Up was going to have a little bit of a life of its own because of all the pomp and circumstance surrounding them taking the makeup off. But it is a very, very strong record. Uh, Much like Creatures of the Night, it even goes hand-in-hand with a lot of the hard rock and metal albums of the time. It's got a heavy enough sound, and the drums sound really nice again. Once again, not Creatures great, but very, very good. And if you're any kind of hard rock fan, and you've never heard the Lick It Up album, all the way, then it is really good. Honestly, the only thing that makes it not a perfect album is that I think it falls apart a little bit at the end. The last two songs did not get full points by me, and that's what kind of really keeps it out of being in the top 10. It happens. But the whole rest of the album smokes. If they had just ended on track eight, I'd have been fine with it, because that's the one I'm going with right here. Just a rocker and a half. So to represent Lick It Up, it says Kiss with fits like a glove.
song about getting into trouble and loving it yes okay i've done enough stage raps that was fits like a glove by kiss and i'm gonna keep an eye out for this i'm gonna go on record saying the best gene simmons song of the 80s that was 100 percent written just by him because obviously there's some great songs of his on creatures for example but he co-wrote those either with vinnie vincent or someone else but that song is just credited to Gene, so I'm going with it. This is Gene's best song of the 80s. And, of course, it became a very consistent feature of Gene throughout all of their 80s set lists. So, once again, proving how strong that song is. I never actually looked at the charting positions for, like, Creatures versus Lick It Up as far as public response to both of those records. And they would almost have you think that Creatures never even charted in like the top 100 albums in Billboard. But apparently, initially, it came in at number 45 and then Lick It Up improved on that by being, it looks like number 23 or something like that was their peak on the album's chart on Billboard. So not completely just in the basement, but it seems like the overall sales is what they're talking about when they talk about a big improvement. Paul Stanley said that their sales quadrupled when Lick It Up came out. So by that rationale, that means the Creatures may have sold 250,000 copies and then Lick It Up became a platinum album. So if I had to guess, Creatures probably sold somewhere around the neighborhood of 250,000 and Lick It Up getting a million. So yeah, big improvement as far as being something they could build upon and at least keep their name alive throughout the 80s. It definitely bought them a lot of extra time before they put the makeup back on in the 90s. But of course... More on that later. Let's get over to album number 15, a band kind of going in the other direction as far as commercial success goes after having a lot of it in their previous three albums. Another one of my favorite bands of all time, and this is definitely one of my personal favorite records by them. And I'm not just saying that to be 
one of those fans, be a contrarian or whatever. I truly love this album. Yes, a little bit on principle. But yes, yes, you know what year you're in. You're in 1983, so we're talking freaking Flick of the Switch, baby. I love Flick of the Switch. But yes, the story is interesting. So they do the three albums in a row with Mutt Lang producing Highway to Hell, Back in Black, and For Those About to Rock. And then after that, they fired Mutt Lang as their producer and decided to self-produce. I thought for the longest time that George Young produced this album because he produced their earlier albums and he would come in later on in their career and give them a nice back to basics approach. So I thought they would always just call their older brother whenever they needed a little help and, you know, get their brain back, go back to their roots. But that's not the case. So it was just completely almost a independent production by ACDC. And I've long called this Brian Johnson's power age because it really is that same kind of record. There's no hits on it, but at the same time, it's definitely not a power age in the overall grand scheme of things. Cause even with all that, even with all that kind of basic approach to it, it seems like most fans generally don't like this album. And I don't understand that because it is a, basic four on the floor acdc album the way it ought to be right and i love all the mutt lang records i think they're tremendous but i love this album as well so i don't understand why it doesn't kind of get that retro pass as a fan favorite but uh, hey you know that's just how it goes but i can still enjoy it i don't need it to be successful or be heralded by fans yeah i found out a few years ago just when the reissues came out when sony legacy reissued and remastered all the cds i read every one of those booklets cover to cover and they were like hey mtv's becoming a thing now so they were just like you know what we're rehearsing in this airplane hangar so if you want a video send the camera crew out we'll be here these days and come get whatever footage you think you need so that's why all three of those videos from flick of the switch look and sound the exact same way is because they were done in one day during tour rehearsals so they didn't have a big picture in mind for this album anyway i i was reading recently that angus really wanted an embossed vinyl cover for the sketch the the pencil sketch of him which would have made for an even better album cover but even then the label was like there's no hits here. We're not spending money to emboss the cover. So that had to be a little bit of a knife in the heart. I would love maybe an anniversary of this someday and write that wrong and emboss the cover. That would be kind of cool. You could do that now, right? Yeah, why not? Anyway, yes, of course. I love this record and I think you should give it a chance if you never have. Hits be damned. This thing right here should be an all-time favorite ACDC song. I would love nothing more than to hear this song added to the set list. If I could, if I could pick one song, from Flick of the Switch to be performed live by ACDC the next time I see him. It's this one right here. So enjoy this. And of course, it's ACDC. So turn it the hell up. Flick that switch up. This is Landslide. <laughs>
Yes, yes, yes. Landslide right there by ACDC, my favorite song off of the unheralded, unpopular, yet great Flick of the Switch album. Coming at number 15 here on the top 83 albums from 1983 countdown. Number 14 right here is the Swan Song by one of the great rock bands of all time. I'll definitely go on record saying this is one of the best last albums anybody ever did. This album came out in March of 83 co-produced by the band and the now late great Chris Sangaritas, who I did a whole episode on when he passed away a few years ago. And he produced this bad boy right here. Man, if only I thought about this, actually, because I was just listening to this album again the other day, actually. And it would have been something else if Chris Sangaritas, in addition to doing this album in 1983, had produced Black Sabbath's Born Again. If he'd had his hands on that record, be a whole other ball game. We'd be talking about Born Again in even a greater light than some fans already do. But for the ones like myself, who definitely have somewhat of a problem with the mix on it, that would not be an issue if Chris Sangaritas had produced it. And it just seems to make sense that he would do that record. So there you have it. There's a missed opportunity. But he did produce this very fine album here in 1983 called Thunder and Lightning, the final record by Thin Lizzy. And... I know it's definitely just all speculation, but building on from Renegade and into this album, I think then Lizzie could have had a decent, consistent career throughout the 80s, leaning into them being kind of vetted authorities, bands that influenced some of the newer metal bands at the time, like Priest and Maiden and stuff like that. It would just seem to make sense, but it was not to be. Phil Lynott was not in a great place, so the band broke up. But they did put out this record and that great Life live album as well to go out with a huge bang in 1983. At least for me, creatively, I would say it was a success. Sadly, it was a quick blip and out. It didn't even crack the top 100, not even close as far as albums go in America and the charts. Did well internationally, which makes total sense. They were always bigger in every country, it seems, than the United States. But the other thing the band could have built upon is John Sykes coming into the band. And we all know that John Sykes can definitely write a tune. He co-wrote Cold Sweat on this record, so that's something they could have also built upon. And as we know, Sykes is a proven hit maker. But yeah, it's all speculation at this point, so I guess why bother? But I think just on principle, if you've never heard this record, if old Joey over here, if your friend Joey puts this Thin Lizzy record above Kiss and Alice Cooper in his 1983 list, you should definitely make serious note of that and get into this record. I'm going to go ahead and play this track. We've played it on the show before, and this harkens back to when I had my buddy Mark Striegel on the show for the first time, came out and did one of his Desert Island lists, and I'm going to dedicate this one to my friend Mark. He is killing it over there on SiriusXM, doing us all proud, and I listen to him every day. Every day he's on the air, I listen to him. And so when he was on the show, he played this one as his choice single off of Thin Lizzy's Thunder and Lightning. So here you go. This one's for you, Mark. This is the one.
All right, this is The One by Thin Lizzy from their last album, Thunder and Lightning, my 14th favorite album of 1983. So you know this is a serious list. You got people like Kiss and Metallica and Thin Lizzy on this particular part in the 20 through 11 entries. And then right here, we got a big one coming in at number 13 here, Motorhead. Yes, Motorhead's sixth album, which was recorded in massive turmoil. They hated this lineup. They hated recording the album. They hated the tour. But somehow, some way, this album has proven to be, in retrospect, a loved album, not just by the fans, but the band itself, including Lemmy. Long before he passed, he talked about how great this album was. They started to play more of those songs from it live. It's just proven to be one of those cool records that, at the time, nobody appreciated. I was marveling at how the Thin Lizzy album only came in like 150-something in the charts in the States, and this album did about the same exact thing. I think 153 was the peak here in America. I'll get off the chart thing, but I just I guess it's selling to the exact same amount of people, Thin Lizzy and Motorhead, which there's a tie-in right there. I didn't even set it up this way, but you got Brian Robertson coming in as the new lead guitar player for Motorhead, just being out of Thin Lizzy for a few years, and it gave the band a whole new sound. So he only did this one album and one tour before they parted ways very unceremoniously. But this album, Another Perfect Day, it just has that staying power. Came out in May of 83, produced by Tony Platt, who I believe also engineered Flick of the Switch. So yeah, guy's very good at engineering these cool, raw-sounding rock albums. But yeah, coming off the heels of Ace of Spades and Iron Fist, this album, like I said, tanked. So much so that the band took like three years off before putting out another record. So Orgasmatron would be the follow-up after that. That's a lifetime three years, as Def Leppard can attest. But once again, another perfect day. I'm definitely on board with this album. I've always loved it from the moment I heard it. I heard it way later on. I did not hear it in 83. Four-year-old Joey was not rocking out to Motorhead, unfortunately. I'd love to be able to brag that, but I am just going to have to be honest with you. Motorhead didn't happen for me until about 1988. So, yeah, I was not quite there yet. But once again, another perfect day. So happy that the other week, as of this recording, they announced a 40th anniversary of another perfect day. And they're going to keep making those really kick-ass 3LP mini boxes. I have picked up every single one of those so far. And I cannot wait for another perfect day to come out. Hear the live album attached to it. These are great sets. And if you haven't picked these up... If you're any kind of Motorhead fan and you're a vinyl person, get on these before they go out of print because these things are freaking gorgeous. You should have them in your collection if you're any kind of Motorhead fan. Okay, that all being said, let's get into a track from Another Perfect Day. There's so many to pick from, but I'm going to go with this one right here. I got this killer DVD from the Inferno tour and they played this on it. So this has kind of always been a favorite of mine since that tour. So this is Shine.
Oh, man, what a smoking track that was. Hope you enjoyed that. How could you not? If you didn't enjoy that, just stop listening to the show. I don't want you listening if you can't get down with that song. A, to be so absolute, but eh, Dylan absolute sometimes. Okay, on from Motorhead and their great album, Another Perfect Day, to the second best debut of the entire year of 1983, as far as I'm concerned. Top two debuts are so different types of heavy music but I equally love them. So coming in at number 12 right here, this band from California. This album came out in July of 83, produced by Glenn Friedman, who's actually mostly known as a photographer at this time, photographed a lot of hardcore bands and just underground music. So not known as a producer, but known as a photographer. Matter of fact, he shot the front and back covers of this album that I'm about to talk about. The self-titled debut by Suicidal Tendencies. Yes, 83 was Suicidal's rookie year as a recorded band. And this is just one of those damn near perfect debut albums for me. Like any hardcore punk slash metal type of album, it is just under half an hour. Barely makes it being a full-length album, but it is. It counts as one. I believe it to be that. So, yeah. Do this one top to bottom. If you've only ever heard Institutionalized, which is a damn classic legitimately, but check out this whole record. It is something else. This one right here, one of my other favorite songs on the record. I mean, this whole album starts off with a bang. Suicide's Alternative, Two Side of Politics. This one right here. It's the culmination of the opening of the album. So damn good. A song that was originally called I Shot Reagan. And in the final pressing and mix, it was changed to I Shot the Devil. Check it out. I Shot Reagan! I'm the Reagan! I'm the Reagan! I'm gonna shoot you! Get a heavy ride! Good ride in heaven! Your name's a boy! You're too proud! What's your first choice? Obviously, the band did not change one single solitary lyric off of that song and merely just changed the song title. But yes, that was Suicidal Tendencies with I Shot the Devil. Full disclosure, besides Institutionalized, I had never 
heard this album until after Still Psycho After All These Years came out. I'm going to be dead honest with you about that. So it took me a few years to actually kind of correct the whole, yes, this is the original stuff, probably is better than the re-recordings. But that all being said, I actually do like Still Psycho After All These Years. I'm anxious to re-review it in a way. It'll have to be a nod and end when it happens, but I don't know. I guess it's coming up maybe here, 93, maybe 94. I'm not quite sure exactly when that comes out, but it would make sense being 93, being a 10-year anniversary, so I'm. we'll see what happens. Stay tuned. And coming in at number 11 here, I almost feel like I need to apologize for having this album be so low. I mentioned how I was messaging with one of my other favorite podcasters, BJ, from the Rock and or Roll podcast, and he told me that this, along with something else that I haven't played yet, were his two favorite albums of 1983. Now, I'm not apologizing for not matching BJ's top two as my top two, but I still feel like I need to apologize a little bit for not having this album in the top ten. And that's only a thing because of one exact reason, and I'll mention it here. So, coming in at number 11 is the fourth album by the great Iron Maiden. Yes, Iron Maiden, legitimately one of my favorite bands of all time. I've traveled multiple times to see them play live. So, I'm a fan. So, just I'm going to keep apologizing about this. But yes, this album here called Peace of Mind, P-I-E-C-E, came out in May of 83. Of course, produced by Martin Birch. That album cover, I'll never forget seeing the Iron Maiden album covers for the first time. But this album was definitely out when I first started seeing Iron Maiden album covers and just flipping out over this thing, this thing on the album cover that's chained to a padded cell. Finding out later on his name is Eddie. Yeah, the whole thing. Maiden, just that imaging is just, it's almost everything. But yes, peace of mind. Definitely one of the best Maiden albums of all time for sure. So now I'm going to tell you why it's not a 100-point album for me and why it did not crack the top 10. Just missed it by that much. And my exhibit A and final exhibit for it not being a perfect album is merely Quest for Fire. Let's be honest. Quest for Fire is kind of lame. Lyrically, it basically just reads like the back of the video box for the movie Quest for Fire. Let's be honest. It's just... Not that great, it's a little lame, and man, I wish it wasn't on the record. I mean, would anybody think this album is less than if it was just a 40-minute record without Quest for Fire? I don't think anybody would complain about this. So yes, I've tried over and over again to enjoy that song, and I just don't enjoy it. So it's not a perfect album, and, and that's why. That's my explanation. Other than that, man, the rest of the album rules. Uh, also, on principle, the first Nico McBrain record, his drumming debut with the band, Nico is the man, and I wish him all the best of health in the future. Definitely all the good vibes to Nico. Last year, myself and Chris Penn actually attended one of the Bruce Dickinson talking shows when he was out here in Dallas, went to go see it, and the Nico stories were absolutely the highlight of the show. He's very engaging, as you would expect Bruce to be. But yeah, him talking about Nico and doing the impression on top of it while pushing his nose in. Goddamn highlight of that show. Laughed my ass off. Yes, this album, Peace of Mind, still an essential album. That means you definitely should still own it, buy it, and play it on a consistent basis. Heavy hitters, we got them. Die With Your Boots On, Revelations, Win Eagles Dare, one of the great album openers of all time. The fucking Trooper. 
I remember when the Metal Evolution show, that series that was on VH1, when it debuted and they used the Trooper as the opening theme song for every episode. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I don't think I could come up with a better idea than using the Trooper to represent all of metal. That just makes sense. So, yeah, bunch of fucking classics here on Peace of Mind. I'm going to go with this one right here. This song has always been in my top five Maiden songs ever. Probably top three, honestly. Just love it for some reason. So here you go from the great Peace of Mind. This is Iron Maiden. We're going to up the irons here with Flight of Icarus.
closing off the show here tonight and coming at number 11 on our top 45 records from 1983 countdown. That was Iron Maiden from the Peace of Mind record, and that was Flight of Icarus. My apologies to everybody if you're waiting for an apology. Okay, that's it. No more apologies for the rest of the countdown. Speaking of which, I hope you are enjoying this countdown. I hope I don't have to apologize to too many more of you. But yes, you know what's coming. It's on the horizon. We can see it coming down the mountain right there. The top 10 will be here sooner than later. And I know you're excited about it. I'm excited to bring it to you. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Plus, going to have a nice little cameo and a halftime show for you, just like we do on pretty much all these top 10s on the album's countdown. But until then, stay tuned for my better half, Nola, with the plugs, followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10 and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high quality, soft as heck, next level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on SiriusXM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun.
Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.